everyone. So I am not the normal speaker. <laughs> Typically, that's uh, Brother Bob, but I've been encouraged throughout the years of being here at Oak Mountain and been presented with this opportunity to speak. I'm so thankful. And I think that's a testament to the congregation here that, you know, when I first joined the congregation, I was not, I was lost. And a few years later, here I am in front of this crowd. So I, I just think that's amazing. Um, before we get started, I also would like to give a thanks to DeWitt. <laughs> uh, DeWitt kind of encouraged me to to make this uh, like our, our goodbye. So my wife and I are moving in uh, the next week or so, really next few days, and this will be our last Sunday here, so I, I think it's fitting that if, I, if possible, I leave, with, leave you all with a good lesson. So hopefully you brought your Bibles, as Bob would say. Um, it's going to be scripture-filled. I will get through a lot of scripture today, so um, if you would like the notes, or the outline, just let me know. I can get you a copy of it. So, question for the night before we get started. Are you an asset or a liability to the kingdom of God? I repeat that again. Are you an asset or a liability to the kingdom of God? You know, recently... Like I said, we're moving, so we've been blessed with an opportunity to uh, purchase our first home. And during that process, you have to uh, list all your assets and liabilities. I had no idea. The only thing I've learned from purchasing a home comes from House Hunter or uh, Google searches. So I'm kind of oblivious to that process. But during it, you know, it's important that you list those because the lender determines if lending you those funds to secure a home would benefit or hurt their company. And maybe you're not purchasing a home, maybe you've heard assets and liabilities as it relates to people. You know, you could be on a, a team and you have a very good player and that player is an asset to the team. Or you may have a player not so skilled and you know, maybe they're a defensive liability and so they can be a liability. However, the way I'm going to try to use this, these terms today is to relate it as it describes to people. And, and in, in the context of my definition, an asset is someone that is considered useful or helps a person or organization and has a positive impact on the reputation of a person or organization. And a liability is someone who causes you a lot of trouble or causes damage to that organization or to the reputation. They have a negative impact on the reputation. Now, assets, in my, in my opinion, are those faithful and wise servants who are found doing the master's servants, uh, the master's will, as described in Matthew 24, um, verse 45. And they inherit the kingdom, as mentioned in Matthew 25. And we can actually take a look at Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40. We'll start there. And this is what Jesus is explaining to his apostles during the final judgment. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, 
Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me water. You gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer saying, when did we see you? And so this passage here kind of gives us two sides. Right hand side, you're, 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 you're part of the sheep. You're, you're an asset to the kingdom. You, you're out, you're doing good. You were looking out for your fellow man and finding ways to help them. And on the other side, as we, if we were to continue to read, it talks about those who did not do those things. And those, to me, are the liabilities. Those are the things that people see and do every, they see these things every day, but they tend to forget to do um, certain things. Excuse me for my thoughts there. But, Today, I want to try to help us describe how to determine or measure if we're an asset or a liability to the kingdom. And there's three criteria that I've, I've identified. Uh, the first is, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul? The second being, do you, do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? And the third is, do you bear good fruit? Let's turn over to Matthew 22 for the first two points, and we'll look at verses 36 through 40. Again, that's Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. And we'll actually back up to 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Verse 40 kind of sums it all up. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Well, the first one being, do you love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, and your soul isn't a new concept. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. It's also known as the Shema, to listen. But it's also found again throughout that chapter. But a big one that I like to highlight is Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13, where it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require you? But to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today. So, first one is loving the Lord. So how do we show love to the Lord? Well, we keep his commandments. That's it's evident in that, in that sentence, in that statement. It's also found... Uh, in the New Testament, Christ mentions it in John 14, 21, in 1 John chapter 5, verses, uh, verses 2 and 3. It's known that the children of God 
love God when they obey his commandments. And we can turn back to Exodus, but if you all remember the uh, Ten Commandments, the first three commandments all relate to God. First one, shall, shall have, you shall have no other gods before the Lord your God. Second one, you should make any car, carved images or uh, idols to bow down or to serve them. And the third one is to not take the Lord name in vain. That's Exodus 20 verses 3 through 11. The last six relates to your neighbors. You know, it talks about honoring your mother and your father, not envying. It also refers to not murdering, right? That's a big one. <laughs> um, but they all relate to how we treat our neighbors. And Leviticus 19, uh, verses 9 through 18, is where this is kind of found again. And verses 9 to 10 talks about sharing with the poor and, you know, sharing with the visitors, not stealing or dealing dishonestly, not swearing falsely or profaning the Lord's name, um, not being partial to a person based on their status, not endangering the deaf or blind, don't slander uh, your neighbor or stand idly by while your neighbor's life is at risk or, take, or uh, hate or take vengeance, but you should love your, your neighbor. So loving the Lord involves following all his commandments and loving your neighbors, the next one, it means you know, treating your neighbors as you would like to be treated. And Peter, uh, Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians 5, 13 through 15, which very applicable to us today. And turn over to Galatians 5, uh, verses 13 through 15. And he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Very clear, clear there. So criteria again, number one, loving God with all your heart. Number two, loving your neighbor as yourself. And again, other verses that we can look at is James 2.8, where it says something similar, um, not being partial to your brother. Uh, Romans 13 verses 9 through 10 also mentions this as well. And so it's very important as we continue the lesson that we understand that you are an asset to the Lord if you love him and follow all his commandments and you love your neighbor as you love yourself. The other, the third point was, you know, looking at the fruits that you produce. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 through 20, and that's again Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. And this passage is typically used to um, identify false prophets, but I think it's also fruitful for us to apply to our lives to, to kind of measure our, our fruit each day. When we are thinking about denying ourselves or um, 
you know, taking up our cross, well, what does that look like and how can we measure that? Well, I think your fruit, so if you're an angry person, you're probably reaping anger. If you're a jealous person, you're reaping jealousy. If you're a good person, you're probably reaping some good stuff. People probably speak of you in high regard or um, trust your opinion. Um, you're just fruitful to, to yourself and to those around you. But Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. I think that's very applicable when we're thinking about ourselves and if we're an asset and maybe you're struggling with things. Well, if we go back to the basics and just really think from a daily perspective, do I love the Lord with all my heart? Am I following his commandments? Do, when, I go out, when I get up in the morning and I go look at my neighbors or I'm around my coworkers, am I doing what's best for them? Now, liabilities, they don't do that. They don't, they, they don't follow God's commands to the best of their ability, with all their soul, all their might, all their mind. Neither do they look for what's best for their, their neighbor, for, for, for anyone other than themselves. They're selfish, they're uh, destructive in nature. They, seek things that will be best for them. Um, there's a lot of scripture on people who are liabilities, but I, th I think the big point I wanna kinda drag home here is that liabilities do not seek the Lord wholeheartedly. And we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do a little case study on a few people from the Bible. Uh, we'll do two people from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. And the way we're going to do this case study, we're going to see if they answer those three questions. Uh, did they love the Lord their God with all their mind, their heart, their soul, and follow his commandments? Did they love their neighbors as they love themselves? I mean, <laughs> no, not, yes, as they love themselves. Sorry about that. And did they bear good fruit? And so the very first person we're going to look at is described as a son of a man of wealth. He's in the Old Testament. He's the most handsome man among the people of Israel. He was a man of great stature. He towered over all the Israelites. He was picked by the Lord, and the people loved him. I mean, they, they saw him, and they, they were like, wow, this, this is the guy. That's the, that's the guy. He was anointed by Samuel. The Spirit of God was on him. He was instructed in the rights and duties of kingship. And, you know, he started off as a fantastic king. And if you, you read through 1 Samuel, which we've just finished reading, you know that's Saul. Uh, Saul, as in 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 9, we can turn over there and see how he's described. 
Again, that's First uh, Samuel chapter nine. And it's written in the record that there was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zerah, son of Becheroth, son of Phiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than anyone, uh, any of the people. So that just kind of lays out Saul, right? Saul is this extremely handsome guy, tall, great stature, uh, from wealth. So he has a, a leg up on people, if, you, if, if I were to, to say something about Saul. I would say, wow, that's, that's a pretty remarkable person if we're just judging the outside of, of, of Saul. But to continue on, in verse 17, he was picked by the Lord. If we go down to verse 17, uh, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here's the man of whom I, speak to, I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. The Lord said, Well, yeah, that's, that's my guy right there. And he was anointed. If we look at uh, 1 Samuel 10:1, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to become prince over his people? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. And we continue on uh, to verses 10 and 11. This is where the Spirit of God was on him. And if you look at uh, verse 10 and 11, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with him, with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? So again, right now he looks, he looks phenomenal. I mean, it seems like he would be an asset to the kingdom. We're talking tall, he's uh, handsome. He was picked by the Lord. He was anointed. The Spirit of God was on him. But Saul had an issue. Saul was, as, they was, as Samuel would say, little in his own eyes. Saul had a, a, con, a condition. And maybe that was due to some of the characteristics we, we, I just listed. Maybe it is because he was from wealth or because of how he looked or, you know, his size. Maybe that, that was an issue with him, but he became a liability. He started off, I mean, if you look at his life, he was pretty good. And then he was warned by Samuel. And after that warning in, in 1 Samuel 12, he became a liability. He started off by offering unlawful sacrifices. If we uh, turn to 1 Samuel 12, verses 8 through 15, We're going to go to 13, 8 through 15. Sorry about that. And it says, He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but did not come to, to Gigal. But Samuel did not come to Gigal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me. 
and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offerings. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Wow, that's not following the commandments of the Lord. Well, Saul's not, he's not a prophet. He's not, he's not uh, entitled to, to make that sacrifice, or uh, he wasn't entitled. He was told to wait. He was instructed to wait on Samuel. And the thing I want to highlight is his response. And he said, so I forced myself. So clearly, although all these fantastic things have happened with Saul, he was anointed, the Spirit of God was on him, he conquered some people, he got the people out of trouble in, in a few earlier chapters and defeated the Ammonites. He was about himself. And he did not wholeheartedly follow the commandments of the Lord. And it didn't stop there. I mean, that was just the... The breaching, after that, I mean, Saul just kept going. And First Samuel 15, 3, he was given a direct order, and God commanded him. He said, now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox, camel and donkey. Pretty direct commandment to Saul there. But Saul didn't do it. And what happened is the Lord actually started to regret that he made Saul king. If we continue on to verse 11 or 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king, for he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Again, I regret that I've made him Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. So, very first uh, question or criteria for becoming an asset was to, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you're willing to follow his commandments wholeheartedly? Saul didn't do that. Well, it continues, and Saul then attempts to kill the next king, as we know that he sought the life of David. Now, I, I tried to research how many times, and I, I counted about 11 times, and I, I have a few verses in 1 Samuel 18, 11, um, where this reoccurring thing happens with, with Saul. And this is because Saul was angry. I mean, the kingdom is out of his hands. He no longer has the favor of the Lord, and he's, he knows David is the king. And instead of trying to Second point or second criteria, do what's best for David. You know, if, if Saul would have instructed David in the ways of the Lord and said, hey, look, this is where I fell short, but I don't want you to fall short. I made a mistake. Who knows how Saul would have turned out? We don't, we don't know because he didn't do that. Instead, he sought the life of David. In verse uh, 10, it says, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within him while David was playing the lyre. And he did, 
as he did by day. And Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. And David was afraid. Uh, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So that just tells us why Saul was the way he was. But if he would have followed the commandments of the Lord, he wouldn't be in this situation. He would be um, beneficial to the Lord. The Lord would not have regretted making him king, but these are the fruits of his actions. He also killed priests uh, in 1 Samuel twenty-two seventeen, He consulted a medium at Endor, and he brought death to his family and to the army of Israel in 1 Samuel 28, 19. But Chronicles does a fantastic job of summarizing Saul's legacy. Let's turn over to 1 Chronicles 10, 13 and 14. And that's 1 Chronicles 10, 13 and 14. And it says, so Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord and that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the king over to David, the son of Jesse. Saul died for his breach of faith and he did not keep the command of the Lord. So just with this first person, if we were to look at those criteria, did he love the Lord with all, all his heart, all his mind, all his, all his soul? No. Did he do what's best for his neighbor? No. What fruit did he bear? Well, in uh, 1 Samuel 28, 19, you know, it says he, I want to read it correctly, but he got his, his sons killed. He, he died as well, and also, the children of Israel or the army of Israel was defeated. And we turn over to First um, Samuel 28:19, and it says, "Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines." And this is the fruit of his actions. People died. I mean. I don't consider that an asset. I mean, our whole uh, goal here is to look out for our brothers, to snatch souls from, from the fire. And Saul didn't do that. So based off those criteria, Saul fails. He was a liability. He was not an asset to the kingdom. But we will look at another person. The next person was born of a royal family or nobility, handsome as well, skilled in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and able to teach. Uh, he would not defile himself or live as the people he was uh, held captive at, and he was given favor from God, uh, given learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and able to interpret dreams and visions. And that's referring to the prophet Daniel. And we can turn over to Daniel 1 and see some of those uh, characteristics of, or descriptors of Daniel. And Daniel 1, starting in verse 3, the record says, 
Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility. So that's that first criteria. Use without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, that's the handsomeness. Uh, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them literature and language of the Chaldeans. And so, brief intro to who Daniel was. Um, if we continue on to verse eight, we know of the story where um, Daniel uh, would resolve that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with wine that he drank. And interesting that they use the word defile. It doesn't say he didn't want to eat the food. It says he didn't want to defile. So that means he was aware of the commandments of the Lord and very, very careful at what he um, consumed. And Verse 9, he was, it says he was given favor. Uh, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of chief eunuchs. And uh, verse 17, it said that as for these four youths, and this is Daniel along with uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, that God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So Daniel... Uh, was set up to be an asset to the kingdom of God. Why? Because God wanted him to be there. He wanted, although he was in captivity and he was presented with, um, I'm sure, some, some trials early on with that transition from to, into Babylonian captivity. I mean, we've read about some of the horrors there. God was still with him. And in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Daniel, this is after he... Um, this is actually him saving the lives of the wise men of, of, um, of Babylon. And says, this is after no one can interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Because of this, the king was angry and very few, furious and commanded that all the wise men be destroyed. And so that the decree went out, the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill all the wise men. And, and Daniel interpreted the dream. And verse 17, he went to the house and made matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's companions, and they told, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning the mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel. Well, Daniel did not defile himself, so he was obviously following some commandments of the Lord. It doesn't say exactly which ones, but uh, as we are going to learn in the other chapters, um, when he was forbidden to pray, Daniel still prayed. So I, I kind of infer that da Daniel was a very devout and faithful servant. And because of that, and because he kept all of God's commandments, King Nebuchadnezzar made his first proclamation to the glory of the Lord in verse 47. And he says, truly, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men. And so, because Daniel was faithful and he prayed and, and God blessed him and he was able to save the wise men of Babylon, but he was also 
able to get Nebuchadnezzar from just witnessing this to proclaim that, our, that the God of Israel is the God of God's Lord of, of Lords. And truly, your God is God. But that's not the first time. And it's not the la- I mean, it's not the last time. It's the first time. Um, he goes on to promote his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, over the affairs of the province. And we know that they were cast into the furnace. And their faith kept them well as well. And I can only think that they are all encouraging each other because if Daniel made it aware to them that you know, King Nebuchadnezzar had this, this, this instruction that he's getting ready to, to kill the wise men and Daniel went to talk to them. I'm sure they're in uh, close communication. And I can't say this for certain, but I, I would assume that because of their faith and because of their companionship, it also encouraged them during their trial. And that led to the second proclamation. And Nebuchadnezzar said, and Daniel 3.18, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb and their house laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Again, talking about assets, liabilities, we have Daniel, we have the friends of Daniel, and, and, and they were in that position because Daniel sought something for them. He didn't choose to put himself over those prefects. He chose those men. And again, a third proclamation in uh, Daniel 4.1, where King Nebuchadnezzar says to all people, nations, and language that dwell on all earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show you the signs, wonders of the, that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So the fruit of Daniel's work is throughout his time in captivity, people who did not know the Lord were able to recognize and, and glorify God for his abilities and for who he is. And that, that's a big point for us because if we're loving God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul. Well, it's not for just for our benefit. It's ultimately for God's benefit. We want to do everything we can to glorify the Lord our God. And I can continue on, but you know, Daniel. There's another fourth uh, proclamation in four, uh, 34 through 36. Uh, and right before he was cast into the lion's den, is described as Daniel. That is, is described as a faithful and faultless servant. And it says in verse 4, and this is the wise men of Babylon and high officials, they sought to find ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or fault because he was faithful. No error or fault was found in him. And, you know, this leads to a test for Daniel as an asset. He's thrown into a lion's den. And that's a, that's a, I mean, I've never, <laughs> I don't like the zoo. I don't, I'm not a big fan of animals, especially wild animals. Uh, I like to 
to deal with things I can kind of control with, you know, a small dog or something, but I can only imagine being cast into a den of lions and, you know, the fear that would overcome me. And Daniel, I'm, I'm just guessing, was probably as cute, cool as a cucumber um, because it's, he, didn't, he was an older gentleman at that time and he was faithful. He had nothing to worry about. The, the Lord was with him. He believed in, in the Lord with all his heart, all his mind and all his soul. And he makes a statement and he says in uh, Daniel 6, we'll turn over, he's in verse 21, and Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's, lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. And if you go back a little bit before then, Daniel is declared by the king, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And that just tells us about the status of Daniel there. Like, faithful, just followed all the commandments, um, was blameless, and that saved him. And the fruits of that is King Darius then wrote another proclamation. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. For his kingdom should never be destroyed. and His dominion shall be end to end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. I mean... Again, that's an asset to the kingdom. I mean, if you're in captivity and you hear the king make a decree uh, to your people about, that your God is the living God, that's encouraging. Uh, Daniel was also um, mentioned in Hebrews 11 and because of his faith. Um, and in Ezekiel, 14.14, uh, 14 is mentioned on Noah and uh, Job about his righteousness. And his wisdom is mentioned in um, Ezekiel 28, verse 3, uh, in regards to a prophecy against the prince of, of Tyr. And it just shows that if you're an asset to God, you're following his commandments, you're doing what's best for your fellow man as well, that your fruits will be beneficial to the kingdom. And so assets to the kingdom are tested, but it's their faith and love for God that brings them through trials and tribulations because of their servitude to God. So I want to say this, if, if you don't take anything from this, just think about those three things. You leave here, do I love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul? Do I love my neighbor as I love myself? And what do I bear good fruit? Not, I mean, you can look at what type of fruit you bear and make a change, but I will hope that you're bearing good fruit. I said I had a third example, and the third one was uh, the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Not only did Jesus provide this criteria uh, to determine if we're an asset or a liability, but he lived it faithfully and wholeheartedly during his time on earth. Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, I'm going to turn over there real quick. That's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. It 
He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being a full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so if we were to take that same criteria and apply it to Jesus, he passed with flying colors because he created the test. And the fruit that he bears is eternal life to those who believe in him and repent. And that's in Acts 2.38. And he is the source of our eternal salvation when we obey him in Hebrews 5.9. And the way we obey him is denying ourselves and, and following those two commands and measuring our fruit. So the, those two commands are crucial to us being on the right side, you know, to, to, to being counted amongst the sheep and not amongst the goats. In Matthew um, 16, 24, it's you know, deny, deny yourself and take up your cross, right? That's what we're to do daily. It's not a yearly thing. It's not a monthly thing. It's, it's every day because that's the test. You know, you can be an asset one day like Saul and the next day become a liability. It's about being faithful continually like Daniel, obeying and, and, and denying yourself to, to the betterment of the kingdom. You know, the Lord does not wish anyone to perish, but all should reach repentance. And that's found in Second uh, Peter, uh, verses 3 and 9, but also in Ezekiel. This is a, something that was mentioned, you know, hundreds of years before Peter, the, you know, thousands almost, uh, that the Lord doesn't want any soul to, to die, you know. And I'll close with this. In Ezekiel uh, 33, and we'll just look at Verse 17, the way of the Lord is just when it's, uh, actually, we'll go back. We'll uh, start actually at verse 12, and he says, You son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not de deliver him when he transgresses. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he should not fall when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous should not be able to live by righteousness when he sins. Though I say to you, say to the righteous that he should surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered, but in his injustice that he, should, that he has done, he shall die. And again, I say to the wicked, you should surely die, yet if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right. If the wicked restores the pledge and gives back what he's taken by robbery, walks in the statutes of life and not doing injustice, he should surely live. He should not die. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. 
He has, he has done what is just and, and right. He's, he shall surely live. And this is found again in Ezekiel 18, but the purpose of that is the Lord doesn't want anyone to die. And not just that, the first death, which is the death that we all know, but there's, well, we, we know both deaths. There's another death after this, the permanent one, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Lord doesn't want anyone to go through that. And so um, I want to close with the Lord's prayer because the will of the Lord is, is clear that he wants people to turn and look towards the Son and be saved and to repent and be baptized in his name. That's, that's the will, you know, to, glor to glorify the Father through the Son. So let's uh, bow our heads for a quick closing prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. In Jesus' name I pray. So if you are going through those criteria in your mind, and maybe you're noticing that in some ways you're becoming a liability, um, you can do something about it today. Or maybe you're not an asset to God. Maybe you're an asset to Satan. Maybe, maybe you're not loving God, and maybe you need to, to learn more about Christ Jesus. That's, that's something that we can offer here. Or maybe you've learned and you're ready to become an asset. Um, we would, I would plead with you, but we would love to extend the invitation to you right now during the singing of, the, of this next song. So if you're subject to the invitation, please uh, come forward. They tried my Lord, my Lord, and Master.